This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. This week, we have a bonus episode for you. Uh, during the uh, September Sub Promotion Summit San Francisco, we had a great panel we want to share with you. It was hosted by Caroline Bao at, at Apps Flyer, and the guests were anyone at PixArt, consultant and advisor Nick Kendler, and Zamir Wessel-Miller, UA at TextNow. So all of them have a great backgrounds, the great fit for this conversation. They share insights on what to do about the lack of data when it comes to multi-channel campaigns, winning strategy to approach Apple Scan, and more. So without further ado, here we go. So glad to be here. Um, soon we'll be introducing our panelists. So uh, first, a couple of words about myself, who I am, uh, why we're here. Uh, besides running marketing for AppsFlyer in North America region, I, um, I have been a, I guess, um, digital marketing born and raised uh, veteran in the industry for about 20 years. I used to run um, product marketing um, of many other software, but one of them was uh, the core measurement product solution for Facebook. Outside of work, uh, I also teach. So if you hear a little bit of that roll calling thing that I'm doing, it's a... Uh, it's probably a professional um, habit that I just un unconsciously developed. Besides that, I'm super excited. Um, I'm gonna use my teacher magic to try to tease out a lot of the wisdom from this wonderful panelist. Uh, all of them uh, each carries a, a wealth of knowledge, so I'll shine a light on them. Um, uh, I'll call on our lady first, and uh, we're gonna do the two gentlemen right after. Would you um, mind, Annie, to give us a quick introduction um, and uh, tell us also one thing that you are very proud of, especially? We yeah. have done this before, Annie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Just testing my mic. So I'm Annie. I'm a senior UA manager at Pixar. I help kind of manage and lead the UA team. Um, my focus and specialty is our search channels as well as working with some ad networks. So we we work with um, CTV partners and we've tested some DSP. So that's kind of what I do at Pixar. I think something that we're really proud of and we'll probably get more into in the panel is the way that we've been able to scale up our creatives. Um, and we're testing and using a lot of AI to be able to do that as well. So in the beginning, when I first joined, we didn't have a lot of creative testing um, and we we basically just had uh, a very basic creative structure, but um, as we've gotten closer and worked with the creative team more, we've been able to basically scale up our creative a lot with the cycle we call creative engine. Um, and as you know, AI has gotten really big, we've really tried to take advantage of it and try to basically integrate it into a lot of what we do with the creative. Thanks, Annie. One thing special about you that we should know. Um, one thing special is that I play um, a lot of tennis. So I'm, I'm an amateur. I'm not like, you know, Carlos Alvarez, if you guys play tennis, but um, 
I do play competitively still, and I do do some tournaments. So um, for those of you who know, I'm a four or five, and within that division, I'm ranked third. Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Nick, you, um, I know also a little about, uh, about you is that um, there, you have been in the industry also for many years, and uh, there are several things you're very proud of. I'd love for you to give us a quick introduction about uh, your background, your expertise, and I understand that you um, have uh, a, a many of the proud moments, but one of them is to scale a super high volume creative program. So tell us uh, more about that as well. Yeah, okay. Um, yes, thanks for the intro. Um, similar to Annie, like, and I'm sure many of you, like creative has definitely been one of the big levers for me in my career in UA. Um, I started off actually in finance, so a very different uh, way of thinking about things as a bond trader, eventually went into gaming, which is also very technical, and then um, eventually landed at Calm um, where I led sort of like the confluence of growth marketing or of, uh, like paid social and creative. And, um, when I arrived there as very young scrappy team, we had basically no resources, maybe doing like 10 ads per month or something maybe. And, um, at this time there still wasn't like gaming was kind of out of the curb on the creative stuff. People were moving at fast clips, but in the subscription pace, people were pretty behind. That was about average or like what people were testing and um, and just I helped implement sort of that gaming style of creative strategy at Calm and we were on the first to like be testing thousands of ads per year and that um, ended up being a major lever for, for, for growth. That's awesome. Um, was it because too much stock trading led you to gaming and too much gaming let you decide that it's time to take care of your wellness yeah yeah exactly that's pretty much it and then you realize you really like the competitiveness in testing so you found a middle ground yeah yeah it's definitely a middle ground i mean like that way of thinking never gets gets like out of your body but my mindfulness is definitely like a good way of sort of like pushing that energy and mindfully uh, analytical yeah. i got that Awesome. Let's also uh, shine light on, on our other uh, panelists. Uh, Zamir, I understand you joined TextNow recently, but you also have been doing UA for quite a while. One of the things you have mentioned is you have worked with, uh, to kind of continue this uh, wellness uh, uh, experience, you have worked at All Trails, and, but you also have this liberal arts uh, experience with the New York Times. Also very interesting background. Tell us more about your experience and something that you are, you would like us to know that you are very proud of. Hmm. Uh, sure, yeah, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different mobile apps um, over the last handful of years. And, you know, I, I, I think we've seen a lot of changes and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's important that as we, as marketers, whether it be freelancing agency in-house try to aggregate uh, all of the wins and, and losses really that we've seen kind of across the board and, and turn them into forward-facing strategy. Um, I think personally having started in the digital space and, and found some uh, kind of fun and success in the subscription world, it, it really comes down to having the opportunity to build relationships with users and customers in a way that 
you know, potentially e-commerce or direct to consumer, you know, single transaction offerings don't carry. So I think as marketers, we get to incorporate that relationship into the creative and uh, it puts us in a really interesting and, and fun place to be. Yeah, super, in super interesting. Um, I'd love to kind of build upon that comment you have about building the relationship because mm -hmm. building a relationship, as we know, in our lives, you gotta have to know in the world now is taboo. You have to know the PII, right? You need to know your neighbor's phone number so you can go over and you know schedule some barbecue parties. But in our marketers' day-to-day -day lives, that is becoming increasingly hard. And um, I'm curious, how how should um, how should we uh, think about handling this sort of paradox between omnichannel consumer behavior versus the increasingly opaque? Uh, consumer signals that we used to be able to accumulate, analyze, segment. How are you guys um, handling that in your day-to-day -day these days? So, uh, I mean, that's a great question. And I think there's, there's really two pieces to that. I, I would hope that as marketers at this point, we have found some sort of alternative to measure the impact of our media, um, whether it's through continual incrementality testing, which I'm personally a big fan of, um, or triangulating efficiency based on post-purchase surveys and MMP data and channel data. You know, I, I think the ability to measure post-install was great, but if you found yourself in a position where your campaigns or your marketing strategy or your entire business model was dependent on the ability to optimize post-install, mm -hmm. then you've opened yourself up to a really big vulnerability. Um, and, you know, I also think it's, it's our job as marketers to meet channels halfway, right? Like it's great to be able to optimize towards that core LTV event, but there are so many other things that we can be doing, particularly for our audience, whether it be at the creative level, uh, et cetera, to, to kind of meet these channels halfway and not put so much dependency, you know, on these PII signals that, that we were fortunate to have and, and in many cases no longer have. Right. What about Nick and Annie? What, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Omni channel versus uh, traceable consumer signals. It's a paradox. Yeah, I think at Pixar, um, I think when, you know, the whole IDFA thing, it did definitely affect our business. So we initially just had to pause all of our iOS campaigns and then basically shipped all of our spend to Apple search ads um, because that was the only channel that you can see post-install data and you can see revenue. Um, and I don't know, Apple Certes isn't my favorite channel personally, um, but that was basically the only place that we could spend on iOS. But I think something that we did was uh, definitely lean in with our MMP. So we actually use AppsFire um, and get scan set up and integrated. So um, we were on scan three, now we're on scan four. Um, and I think that definitely helped us at least have somewhat of a source of truth that we could rely on that data because we obviously did not want to still rely on mm or sorry the the media platforms data so we didn't want to just rely on apple search ads so um i think really leaning in with our mmp and um setting up scan i think that really helped us um yeah just have like some sort of data and some sort of understanding of our customer um we also leaned in really heavily with our data team to set up a different model so that we could measure not the post-install event, but basically a lot of signals before that can uh, 
help us see, okay, like this type of user will subscribe. So Pixar, we have a seven day free trial and then you uh, will subscribe. So the seven day free trial for us was really indicative if someone was going to subscribe or not. So we basically work with our data team to set up a cost per trial that should lead to, uh, or like that can help us predict out our 12 month payback, which is kind of like what our ultimate goal is. So. Um, yeah, I think just really leaning in with your MMP, um, leaning in with your data team, um, and also uh, like what you said is leaning into the partners as well. So really trying to get the most out of your Google rep, your Apple search ads rep. Um, I think that has all really helped us. Mm -hmm. That's super helpful. And um, we had this question already coming in about um, with a scan updates, it really messes up tracking. 100% agreed. Um, how do we, how, how should UA even think about scan? Should we even forget about scan and just focus on the holistic strategy like um, the kids app just shared earlier? I'd be curious, um, do you guys feel strongly about one of uh, you know, I, this question? I, I mean, like going back to Zamir's point, your, your strategy shouldn't fall apart if growth marketing, like sort of like has a lull. A lot of my clients are like four, four paid installs to one organic, and I don't think that really scales. Um, but you absolutely should not give up on measurement and scan, like absolutely zero, no. Um, like you can implement a lot of things like, uh, um, uh, like post-install surveys, you can do um, incrementality tests, you can do like, you know, aggregate event measurement just rolled out on Facebook. It's basically fingerprinting and like, that's pretty good for now. And um, so no, but uh, it is it is good to think about the bigger picture and have like a, a full funnel th thing going as well. I, I also probably chime in on this is uh, what I noticed is uh, it depends also on your company's specific political climate, if you will. If the UA manager has been, um, or UA department has earned enough political capital to report only at a higher aggregated holistic level, you have more leeway to decide within each channel how you want to allocate. Then the scan is a tool for you internally, and it's easy. But if you, as a, either a new manager or for whatever reason, even the finance department or CFO is putting their fingers into this and ask about the last click attribution versus not, it is very likely you want to use scan and every tool, incrementality, all of those tools available because potentially in the next quarter, the next half, the main goal using these tools is really to regain confidence back to UA. So really recognize where you stand um, both from a Functional, functional perspective and quote unquote internal po political stance uh, to think about the tools you choose. I'll just add that point. Um, let's also, I see there are a lot more questions coming in. I do want to ask our panelists one burning question, um, which is creative and AI. Annie, you had alluded to it a little bit. Uh, this keyword AI is just both unavoidable and it's really coming to us um, as I think an early signal of a, maybe a completely new era. So I'm curious, your guys' thoughts around 
the, the application of generative AI in your day-to-day, -day, where have you seen use, uh, utilization? Where do you predict, if you're not using it, but where do you predict create, generative AI is going to help us in UA function? Um, I can kick that off. So at Pixar, what we're doing is there are a couple of ways that we apply AI and a lot of it is within our creative process. So I can give a couple of examples. So one, we work with um, a CTV provider called AppLemon um, and we've actually worked with them to create a brand kind of 30 second video just by using AI tools. And it's really shortened the creative process. So we did one video with our brand team, which took over two months um, because you have to do the voiceover, right? And it's everything is created from scratch. Um, and then we worked with App Lemon and they actually created a video for us in about two weeks. Um, and that's a crazy short turnaround time versus two months. Um, and that two weeks, it's you can create iterations off of. Um, and basically what App Lemon did is they use um, apps like ours or like Canva to create stock images and then use those stock images with AI tools to actually, yeah, basically just create this whole full form video. Um, and I think the whole point is it's not to replace creative teams or replace anyone. It actually just helps you speed up the process so that our creative team can think more about strategy, uh, more about what kind of testing we can do versus spending weeks trying to animate one small thing of a video and do really manual work. Um, so that was one way that we've really seen AI kind of help, kind of change that process. Um, what we're doing internally at Pixar is we're partnering up with some people on our creative team specifically just to test and use AI tools to help create seasonal content for us. So we've been really able to scale up our evergreen program, but we work with partners. So we have partnerships. So for example, we've partnered with Bumble in the past. We have partnerships with Discord. And then there's a ton of seasonal content that comes up, especially in Q4 for Halloween, um, Christmas, New Year's, um, Thanksgiving, et cetera. And to have that seasonal content on top of the evergreen can be a lot for our creative team. Um, so we've partnered up with kind of like consultants on our creative team just to focus on how we can scale up that seasonal content just using AI so that it doesn't disrupt our evergreen process as well. So those are kind of two ways that I've seen AI really kick off. And it's, it really is just to make our lives easier so that we don't have to focus on the manual part of creating creatives and wait like three months just to get Halloween creative. Um, I think it will really speed up that process. Yeah, that's super helpful. It speeds up both for video and uh, seasonal content. But ultimately, you guys and the creative team are at the driver's seat depend determining the strategy. Exactly. That makes sense. Any thoughts on your side? Yeah, for, for sure. Um, so I also run a, a small creative agency and cost is like really important, obviously. Um, so it could, like AI, we're using AI actively in everything we do from like generating stills, which for a lot of my clients is a big part of their strategy to like voiceovers. Um, voiceovers, I've seen pretty much add value in, to any ad. And like in the past, that's been difficult because voice actors, you have to work with them, you have to coach, you gotta do X, Y, or Z. Like now I can just clone a voice, do that instantly. Um, 
there's some interesting things on the video side as well. Um, but just like anecdotally as well, the most advanced creative teams I'm working with, like have fully integrated this into their process and they're going like, they can just move so quickly. Um, so it's, it's already happening for sure. That's wonderful to hear. Samir, do you want to add any more related to the creative and the AI um, or analytics? Any part of that is... You know, I also think one of the things that Facebook has pointed out is that they've been leveraging AI for quite some time, well before it became a buzzword. And machine learning is a huge part of how we manage paid digital campaigns, particularly on channels like Facebook and, and paid social, but also a lot of the other programmatic channels have their own model. And I think there will continue to be advancements mm -hmm. in targeting capabilities and in, in campaign algorithms, but I also don't think that it popped up yesterday and this is something that's been in the works for a long time. And those kinds of algorithmic developments tend to live a little bit farther behind the curtains than some of the consumer facing creative elements and, and, and stuff as, as well. So um, it, it is a big part of everything we do, but I haven't necessarily put it as the cornerstone of, of our strategy, whether it be creative or otherwise um, just yet, but right. I could probably be convinced. Yeah, it's super early. That reminded me um, when UIC, when Google UIC was rolled out, this is several years back, but I, I, have, to, I have to say that was indeed itself is a machine learning based algorithm. And one of the things that Google, um, I used to run a trade app, trading app myself a couple years back, Google was trying to pitch to us and, and uh, Google was highlighting, given the ads you place in the paid channel, you can actually glean some insights to see what kind of users are responding. And that's a very radically different way of doing paid UA campaigns. Instead of deciding, I want to target, let's say, a gentleman like Zamir yourself, I will say, I don't care about the targeting initially. Go let UAC decide, and but I will mine that data and feed back to the rest of my other channels so that my creative can be more targeted. This is a use case that I haven't seen a ton uh, reported externally because Google tried to ask us to spend a huge amount of money just so that they would give this insight to us. So I'd be very curious, uh, maybe later in the breakout sessions, you know, in the breaks, if you guys are using it in that way, let me know. Um, I want to also curious, building on this AI and creative a little bit is, how are you guys currently mining your creative analytics? Do you, do you, understand, do you have like easy way to see which particular piece of creative is working better than the other? Um, because I know that is by itself a pretty labor intensive process. Or do you look at more at the campaign level or, or platform media channel? Um, hey, sorry. Um, I actually write about this at length on my blog. You can check it out. I big post about iteration and thinking about this, but Basically, I think if you structure tests up front into like, you know, how you actually create ads, you can read on the back end where the levers are and then just gain insight over time. But there are mm -hmm. products like black box AI or other yeah. things that'll deconstruct this for you. So you, you are doing, you, you do recommend that um, UA managers should do, should do this kind of testing. It's sort of a learning agenda, right? Having the hypothesis, launch the test, go back and revisit your original hypotheses. Yeah, definitely. And just continually building on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Any? I think before I touch on that, I think I saw a question about the legal aspects of AI and yeah. the, the legal implication. Yeah. Um, so I'll touch on that first and then I'll touch on Carolyn's question. Um, but we it's definitely a gray area, right? Of of from the legal aspect and there's a lot of kind of controversy out there of like is this stealing someone's original work? Um, so there's definitely a lot, a lot of gray area. We work very closely with our legal team to make sure that everything we're doing with AI is is in the kind of legal area. So it's hard for us to know as marketers, like, okay, a lot of it is like, oh, celebrities, right? Like if I generate a celebrity's face, like, is that legal? Is that illegal? Or can we like use that property? Um, so yeah, I think there are definitely a lot of questions. I think it's also not that regulated right now. There's not a lot of noise from the the government or whatever that's the state to also say like is this legal is this illegal so we just rely really heavily with our legal team um, and kind of stray away from doing anything that could be controversial so i think that's something that can help avoid it but at the same time um like if you want to test something kind of crazy i would say just do it ask your legal team maybe you'll get a slap on the wrist but i don't think right now that there is um a lot of Kind of structured laws around that so maybe it is a time to take advantage of that but um i do know there is a lot of gray area so just lean in with your legal team and yeah i think that's that's what we do um but to answer your question carolyn is we do definitely look at the creative level and uh, we do look at each video static headline description um what's performing well what's not performing well some of that we do have to rely on platform data especially with google uac they don't it is a little bit of a black box. Um, so some of that we do have to rely on platform data to give us more directional kind of learning of what's doing well, um, what's not doing well. Um, I think something else that we've seen was an issue when we first started doing creative testing was we would rotate these new kind of creatives into our campaigns and they would never gain any spend or any traction, especially on Meta. Um, that was like a huge issue that we saw. Um, so now we have basically warm-up campaigns or kind of testing campaigns where we'll only put new creatives into that campaign and basically force spend to those creatives. And then we'll compare those um, to what's running in our evergreen. Um, and then how we kind of circumvent the issue between okay, these creatives are doing well in our testing campaign, but when we still rotate them into our like evergreen campaign, it still doesn't perform well. Um, so what we actually do is before we pause those campaigns in the testing, um, we'll try to rotate it in into our evergreen. And if it doesn't gain traction, we'll just basically kind of create a new campaign. Um, that is pretty tedious, but we've tried to work with our meta rep to be like, hey, what's up? Like how come it does well in this campaign we rotate it in this campaign it doesn't do well i think something risky you can do which we've done in the past is just pause old creatives um even if they are performing well but if they're super outdated so like for example we had like a seasonal creative that just took up all the spend and was doing really well and at the end of the day you kind of just have to say yeah i'm just gonna pause it take a risk rotate in the new ones, um, see how it does. And oh. it can shake up your performance a little bit, but I think that's okay as long as you let your stakeholders know that the whole point of UA is not supposed to be the same every single week, every single day, like every single month. Like 
there is definitely going to be fluctuations. And as long as your stakeholders understand that and you've educated them on like some months, CPI is going to be really high because we're doing testing. Um, I think it's okay. Sounds good. Um, I want to uh, not forget about some of the uh, questions um, that our audience have submitted. Um, out of those questions, I think we've addressed um, the, I think we've just addressed a couple of them. I, lo I love to hear from you guys about the CAC, LTV, and then maybe in the context of the web to app, web to web. Nick? Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Zamir. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Um, yeah, I can speak to the uh, web dev piece because I, I've had the opportunity to actually test web dev campaigns on uh, a few different um, accounts that I've worked on over the last couple of years, and and the TLDR is that they work. Um, this question specifically calls out insights around CAC to LTV, and I think. To the second half of that equation, you know, when you're bringing somebody into your product and the onboarding process happens on web and then they are sent to the app store and they install the app and they use your product, I don't think that we've seen really any impact to LTV based on how they sign up. I would hope that people are the same amount of likely to, to continue to use your product depending on how they signed up. But what we have really seen a lot of improvement on is the CAC end of the ratio. and. Part of that is, and, and I know a lot of you out here probably think, well, my app converts better than my website does, so I shouldn't use my website. But the reality is, when we're running paid campaigns, the efficiency gains by one, combining all of our devices essentially into one campaign, iOS, Android, desktop, tablet, into one singular campaign, there is efficiency to be found at the CPM level, which ultimately will ladder into your CAC. And two, the ability to aggregate the events that you're sending back from a web conversion event versus you know the, the challenges that we see on iOS 14 by sending back more events, stronger events with more consistency, the algorithms have a better chance of, of targeting and, and finding the right users. So being able to consolidate your campaigns and send stronger signals by sending folks to the web, even if the web uh, onboarding flow converts at a slightly lower rate, those gains are very likely to outweigh the loss in conversion rate. Um, so I encourage anybody who's considering it or trying to make the case to uh, leadership at your company why it's important to invest in some sort of web offering. Um, it's worked the last two plus times that I've done it. So you guys should try it. That makes a lot of sense. I, I love to see a show of hands who, um, who in, in our audience currently are uh, optimizing towards ROAS. Nobody? Oh, so, but who who here are optimizing your UA towards CAC and, and LTV? And and maybe this is also may or may not be fair, but do you all know your CAC like currently? Right now? Not all, but maybe yes. The reason why I ask is I recognize that for um, for different kind of apps that are not subscription based because their monetization is maybe coming from selling ads. Sometimes they, and then depending on the app itself and its business life cycle, maybe the current strategy is we just want massively acquired users. And, you know, depending on the category, not every app UA manager is optimizing towards CAC. It is all right. Um, I do encourage that everyone should deeply understand your CAC target. And if that is not yet happening, you actually will position yourself really well 
as that thought leader to drive change within the organization to actually try to put a CIC number, even if it's not perfect. So I just want to highlight because any um, earlier in the year when we met, you said uh, that was one of the key initiatives that Pixar went through, right? Yeah, definitely. So we optimize towards a ROAS. So we optimize towards uh, like basically our 12 month payback. And so we have a number that tells us day seven ROAS, if we hit this target, then uh, we'll predict it to hit 12 month payback. Um, obviously, we have a different strategy for a different country. So for India, it's really Indonesia, those tier three countries, it's much harder to monetize in India. So maybe in India, we don't necessarily go off of a CAC or a CAC. Um, those countries for us are just used for kind of growth and driving MAU. Um, but for countries like the US, um, where we're able to really monetize well, we have a specific CAC that we target um, so that we can hit a day seven ROAS and hit a 12 month payback. So um, we always keep an eye on our CAC and we know what the CAC is in the US so that we can also control that because we also don't want to spend if we have a really, really high CAC versus a medium versus low. So um, we do monitor that. And that is a very important metric for us to know that if we're on the right track to basically hit our ROAS targets. Thank you so much. I see our questions are flooding in. Um, so what if we take lightning rounds that maybe each of our panelists takes one question and just let us know which question you are answering. I saw creative and I was thinking, Nick, do, if you want to take it, how many creatives do you create uh, yeah. a test? Um, I actually think I want to go with the value of user engagement. Well, go for it. I want to actually split this into two different types of user engagement. One, I want to talk about like video views, which is really helpful for just like making sure ads you make don't slip through the cracks. Like if something really has crazy hook rates, you want to take second or third shots on trying to get the messaging right. And you can just sort of like, Think about that modularly but i also want to actually talk about app engagement um when we're talking about cac because like one of the things you're likely to see is that users who have higher engagement end up having a much higher like retention end up that all flows through ltv and subscription apps so um like it's important to think about those things as you're doing different trade-offs with like freeness or something in an app that like some of these user engagement things actually for flow through to actual revenue in the future. And it's important to keep those things in mind. Um, also very important for like predictive events. Thanks so much. Um, I'll take the, how many creatives do we create and test monthly? So um, within a month, we test about 30 to 50 creatives. 80% um, is iterations, 20% is new content. Um, a lot of the creatives that we test monthly actually is now on TikTok. So if you're not on TikTok, I suggest you have a specific strategy for TikTok because the creatives on TikTok are going to be completely different than what you want to run on Google and Facebook. So we actually also partner with our organic social team and basically turn some of the more popular videos that they've created on organic and turn that into um, kind of a paid TikTok video. Um, so it, it ranges. So for October, we're going to test a lot more um, because we also have seasonal content. Um, but I think on average, yeah, it's about 30 to 50 that we test monthly. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is on TikTok um, and it's actually been doing pretty well for Pixar. Um, we've really invested a lot in our TikTok strategy um, and a lot of creatives that we do run on TikTok. Thanks so much, Annie. We have 
like 20 seconds. Um, Zamir, do you want to take any of these questions? Uh, the only question left is, how do you track web users who won't log in? Can you track anons? Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think given that most of us are subscription-based mobile apps, if your product is available to folks without logging in, then maybe there's a hole in your product. Uh, maybe I don't understand this question entirely, but um, yeah, make people log in. I don't know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole business strategy um, level conversation. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are at time, or fortunately, we are at time. I just want to quickly highlight um, before our panel conversation, I did a quick research. Um, I don't know if you guys all knew, but um, in what range, if I were to throw three numbers, subscription business in the U.S. Uh, for, from apps uh, in 2022, anyone want to guess? Uh, 5 billion, 20 billion, 50 billion. ABC, which number do you think we uh, were collectively generating? Is this for the AirPods? What's <laughs> it's copy on Carol and after. <laughs> we, in 2022, the app subscription, um, so subscription revenue coming from apps in the US alone has increased to $17 billion. We're something. All right, guys. Thanks much for our panelists. And that was the user acquisition for subscription apps panel at the App Promotion Summit San Francisco. That took place this late September. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. You'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.